Hello, and welcome back to the Teaching Culture Cast, the home for community and culture in teaching. I'm Matthew Bliss, I'm your host, and seriously, welcome back to episode three. Glad to have you all back again. Uh, as always, if you're keen to send through any feedback, questions, queries, uh, make sure you're following the r slash Australian Teachers subreddit. Feel free to get in touch with us via email at teachingculturecast at gmail.com. Just to let you know as well, if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, we've now got our new Twitter account rolling as well, at teachcultcast. Sounds a little bit dodgy, I know, but it's the one we had to go for. Now, if you want to connect with us at any point, that would be brilliant. We'd love to hear your gratitude posts, uh, the ideas that you've got for teaching in the community, any tips and hacks you've got for teachers that might have them interested. We want to try and rally all of you teachers, pre-service teachers, students into the community so that we're all contributing and sharing together. Now, this week, we're going to be talking to Alex, who is experienced in ed support as an integration aide in schools and currently engaging in her Bachelor of Education as a pre-service teacher to then start becoming a teacher in her own right. Hope you enjoyed the episode this week. Not much preamble, just want to get stuck straight into it. Uh, do make sure that you join us every fortnight for the Teaching Culture Cast. Make sure that you tell all your friends, all your family, all your colleagues, if there's anyone who's studying teaching that you would like to tell the podcast about because you're enjoying it, please feel free to send it on. And if you have the opportunity, make sure you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts as well. Uh, five stars is obviously the preference there, but leave what you like. We'd love to get any of that kind of feedback that you have. Okay, that's enough from me. Enjoy the episode. Welcome back to the Teaching Culture Cast. I'm Matthew Bliss, your host, and this evening I'm joined by Alex who is currently doing her studies in a Bachelor of Education and has been an integration aide in schools for the last four years. And she's just said it's a milestone today. It's four years today, isn't it, Alex? Yeah, four years today. So a little while, but we're getting up there. It's a wealth of experience, no matter how much time you can spend in that space, I would say. It is. It's really been very eye-opening. Awesome. So we'll get into that today. For listeners who might not be aware or might not have read the show notes yet, today we'll be talking a little bit about uh, pre-service teachers what they can reasonably expect coming into schools, obviously speaking to Alex's experience. And we're going to talk about uh, integration aids and learning support and all that stuff that sometimes gets forgotten in the general teaching process, not always ignored and never goes unappreciated, but doesn't always become the focus, especially when you're pursuing your studies of teaching. So Alex, why don't you start us off and tell us a little bit about your experience with uh, working as an integration aide so far and how that's helped you out with your studies. As we said just before, I've been an integration aide for four years, which for myself, I'm 23. So it's been a fair decent chunk of sort of my beginning adult life that I've been an aide. Um, Firstly, I'd just like to say that being an integration aide, our main role of our job is to support students with disabilities within the classroom and sort of be that go-between between, um, our students and their teachers, not just through their one class. So say I might be with one student for English and then another student for math. We're across all subjects, all classes, all students. So we're really that big go-between sort of interpreter people like to say sometimes. I have a lot of experience working with different students with a bunch of different disabilities and that's not something that 
universities tend to bring up a lot. You you might have your classes on inclusion and things like that, yep. but it more in-depth in an actual school than what uni gets into. So, yeah. Absolutely. I can say that from my experience too, because I know when I did my um, pre-service teaching studies, there was one subject that ran for one semester on inclusion, and that was meant to be the coverall for all this stuff. But as you say, it can only uh, look at the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more underneath the surface going on with it. Would you say that putting the rubber to the road or even potentially starting without much experience in the space that you learned a whole lot more by undergoing the experiences in integration aid as opposed to the general learning? I think definitely yes. Um, when you think about doing your placements through university, your theories and everything can only teach you so much. It's when you start doing your actual practical and work placements and things like that, that's when you actually learn how things work. Mm. And that's exactly the same with being an aide. I've done a certificate one, which isn't that much, but it's a, it was a good start um, through Monash University to get where I am and sort of get my foot in the door. Um, it was a quick eight-day course of just a quick basis. This is what this disability is. This is what some of the symptoms and presentations might be. These might be some of the things that the students struggle with in class, but every student presents something in a different way. So one of the categories um, for funding is severe behaviour, for example. You could have three students with the same diagnosis or funding of severe behaviour, but all three can be completely different. You can have people who have ODD, ADHD, diagnosis of autism and things like that that all come under the one subheading. And um, that eight-week course obviously would have led you in a little bit of the way there. Would you say you learned most of your stuff on the job? Definitely, 100%. All of the things that I've learned and put into practice have been things that other ES and integration A people have shown me, my um, PSD coordinator, which is so the program for students with disabilities, what they have shown me, what all our experienced teachers have shown me of ways that work. And then even the students themselves have come and said, oh, I actually find that this works really well when someone's trying to explain something to me. Can we do it like that instead? That's brilliant. That must be a, a hard conversation to have with some students as well when you're trying to teach them asking them how best they learn, you don't always get a good answer. So when someone understands how best they work, especially when they're perhaps not as, not as privileged as other students in terms of the way that they learn, that could be really intriguing. Yeah, it's really good. I like to really push the students to see if they can understand the way that they learn because that's not going to help them just now, but also in the future because we're really trying to prepare a lot of our students to get a job. That's where a lot of our students are, he are heading. Um, I work in low socioeconomic schools. A lot of our students have primary level literacy, which for years seven to 10 is really hard and really a lot of work to deal with. So you're having to teach them how to learn and how to go about things in different ways that's going to then help them later on. I'm hoping any pre-service teachers listening, they're hearing all the signs of that someone should probably be a teacher. So I really want to get stuck into the discussion of you tackling your bachelor's of education. But before we do, what would you say the moment was that you realized that you wanted to be a teacher if it wasn't before you started doing this work as an integration aide? Um, it's a pretty funny story, actually. The reason why I chose teaching was because half of my year level did. I was- oh. I've yeah, um, I didn't actually know what I wanted to be when I finished year 12 and I just thought, I was like, oh yeah, 
I'll give teaching a go. And I went to university and didn't do as well and wasn't in the right headspace to actually become a teacher at that stage. So I left um, and I really wasn't sure what to do. I was just working at um, Coles at the time. So I got into contact with one of my teachers from high school and she said, why don't you become an integration aide? Have a look at this. Come and do some volunteering back at the school. See if you like that. Because I knew that I still wanted to be in education. I just didn't know it as what aspect. I did. did I want to teach? Did I want to do something else? So, And it really went from there. That's a, a conversation that's really hard with, to have with a lot of pre-service teachers as well. Because they start on that journey and they think teaching's it. That's the only thing. But I think it's a, a really big sign of maturity when you realise very early on that you want to be in education, but that you don't necessarily have to be a teacher to get that done. But still, you're pursuing your studies and that's excellent. I think that you've ended up where you wanted to be originally is really good. Yeah, it's taken me a little while, but that's okay. I feel better now that I'm approaching it as a little bit older, a little bit more mature than what I would have been fresh out of high school. I was 17 at the time. It was just too much. Yeah, absolutely. I can understand that too. I guess that being the majority of your stuff with the integration aid, which I'm sure we'll hear a lot more about when we talk about the actual teaching stuff, but it would be really good to hear about your experience so far doing the Bachelor of Education. It's very easy for some PSTs to listen to teachers talk about their job. There's not as many opportunities to hear from other students about their experience with it. Or at the very least, if you hear things, they tend to be the horror stories and the things that you don't want to happen. <laughs> um, placements, for example, not always the easiest thing to get done. Um, so, so far, how would you say your experience with the study has been going? It's been pretty interesting going through these times at the moment. We've done a lot of online learning, which mm. I personally myself don't find that easy, but it is what it is. Um, you know, we'll all get there in the end. It's going to make us better. We're going to be the best teachers that we're going to be able to be. I think the units themselves that we're doing, it's not that difficult, but I think I'm not finding it that difficult because I've had my experiences being an aide. I had my first placement June this year, just before we went into another lockdown and I breezed through that. I found it quite easy compared to one of my other pre-service teachers that I was buddied up with. She had never been back to a school. She had gone to a all-girls Catholic high school. Right. So now going back to a school in another low socioeconomic area, a mixed cohort, it was very, very overwhelming for her. Whereas mm. for me, a lot of the students in my classes that I were teaching were very similar to the students that I work with at my current school. Right. That's a huge advantage. Did you get the chance to lead a, a lesson or two? I did. So we had to, I think we had to be teaching at least two lessons a day by our second week. It was a three-week block placement. So it was wow. very high expectations of us, but it is the best way to do it. You really just need to jump in there and get started teaching. Yeah. You know, so much theory and so much theory of learning how to write lesson plans and everything like that is only going to get you so far. You need to see how it's actually going to run in a class. That's it. I know there's a lot of courses that run, sometimes for the bachelors, the four years, they will sometimes have an observation year. But that's really good that you had an opportunity and the, that the expectations were high as well. I find that very interesting if that was your first placement out that you had a minimum of two lessons a day. Some pre-service teachers struggle with that depending on their subjects. Yeah, my methods are physics math, so it's- Easy. <laughs> <laughs> so easy to do. Yeah, but I think 
observation placements definitely have their place. It is really difficult for people to see how school runs when you're not a student. Mm. When you're a student, you only see things from your perspective. Whereas if you get to go in as a pre-service teacher and do an observation block, even if it is for the first few days of a placement, um, you really get to see how that particular school runs and how your mental teachers run their classes, how the cohorts work together as a team and different things like that. Now, at the Culture Cast, we like to think we get stuck into the niches that don't really get talked about too much. And one of those things is actually the culture in schools that um, even for teachers, it can be a bit clicky. Sometimes navigating the staff room can be a little bit difficult. And for pre-service teachers as well, sometimes they tend to section themselves off when they're undergoing a practice, when they're in moments where they would otherwise be uh, a big part of the cohort. How was the culture in the school that you were in? And did you feel that you were mixing with a bunch of other teachers at the time? Did you feel like you had to tiptoe around the etiquette in the, in the school or how did that go for you? It was okay. I think... The way that their teams run, they're like every other school. You have your math science department, your PE health, your arts department, and your English departments, and they all tend to stay together. So, you know, the majority of my time I would spend with the math science team, but everyone in that office was all extremely friendly with one another. If you ever need anything, they'd be like, hey, do you want to come and do this with me? Or, hey, I need to go and do this. Do you want to come and see? I had the opportunity to attend a professional development day with them when I was there um, during my first week and that everyone would split up. Everyone went and sat with whoever they wanted to. They didn't tend to stick with their methods and what classes they taught, which was really interesting. Mm. Yeah, that's really good. I, I wish I could say it was a common experience as well. So hopefully that that helps people feel a little bit better when they get into schools. That's, that's the environment that you definitely want to see. I think people just need to put themselves out there as well as a pre-service teacher. If you want to yeah. see how a different department runs and you get the chance to go and speak to someone. If you see a teacher, just ask them, hey, I'm a pre-service teacher. What do you teach? You know, what's your end of the school like? Even going to your supervisor and saying, look, that, that guy over there, I know he does arts. Can you just, can you get us in a class with him? Even something like that can really help too. Yeah. You just need to ask the question. That's what you need to do. What would a couple of big tips you have for pre-service teachers, but other than, of course, seeing and observing as many classes as you can, um, what other big tips would you have, would you say, that aren't really uh, talked about too much in the studies? The big thing, and I know it's one of the main eights or standards, is knowing your students. And that's what you need to do. You need to build your relationship with them first, and then you can get to teaching them. Because if you don't know your students and you don't get to know them on a personal level, then you're done and there's nothing else that you're going to be able to do. Even if it's just as simple as going around at the start of your very first lesson that you're teaching them and asking them a completely random question like, hey, if you were to wake up with $1 million, what would be the first thing that you were to buy? Are you a night person or a morning person? What's your favorite football team? Just different random questions that are going to sort of surprise them and be like, oh, this person actually cares. They want to know who I am. They want to know what I'm like rather than just how I am in the class. And that's not leaning into the content either. I fear that that's something that pre-service teachers will often do as well. Like let the content speak for itself and not really do any activities like that. I think they call them hooks in my studies, but is that what they still call them? I believe so. Yes, they still okay. call them hooks. Um, 
people will call them different things like engagements or energizers and things like that. But yeah, yeah. and it doesn't take much to get to know them because once you've done that first, say, five minutes of going around the class and asking them some completely random questions, Mm -hmm. they're going to respect that. And they're going to be like, oh, I really like that question that you asked them. My food might be this. That's really awesome and and really interesting to hear. I'm going to keep saying it, but you you sound incredibly mature and further along the journey than you'd reasonably expect for someone pursuing teaching. And it's it's really great to see. I have to put the majority of that towards my experience as being an aide because you learn a lot more in the classroom than what you are ever going to learn in uni. And would you say that there's a lot of stuff that you relax into a little bit because of that experience in schools with regards to your studies, I mean? I think so. A lot of the time, my experience with being in a classroom and learning how to differentiate on the fly and do things like that tends to translate really well into some of my lesson plans that I've done before. If Mm -hmm. you have to think of extension activities or different ways that you are needing to differentiate between your students in your classroom. I find some of that comes quite easily at the moment, whereas some other people, it takes a little bit of time to sort of think about the different ways that you might need to change a task up to suit your students. Do you find that you're helping a lot of students out, particularly with the remote learning? Do you, do you find yourself grouping up with a lot of other PSTs on this front or do you feel very sectioned off? You just drive your line, you kind of do your own stuff on your own, or are you working with other students to, with small groups to do assignments? And is it something that the university drives? Not particularly. Um, I feel like because everything is online, everyone is just kind of like, I'm going to do my own thing and do what I need to do. Um, there is not a lot of group assignments that I have to do, um, especially in my physics and my math classes that I'm doing. There is mm-hmm. none. And there's really not that much sort of group work in my education units either. We might do your occasional breakout room in your um, actual class, but Mm. the engagement there really tends to drop right off. You can see in your Zoom class or whatever, normally you can see the number of participants down the bottom, and I could have anywhere between 30 and 40 different um, people in that particular class. And as soon as our lecturer or tutor says, okay, everybody, we're going to do a breakout room and discuss the, that number, I've seen it drop by 10 to 15 people before, and it happens almost every class. It's really interesting to reflect on your teaching studies and how you can reflect on your own teaching being taught how to teach as well, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. I think that a lot of people don't want to do their breakout rooms because they find it quite uncomfortable. But there is always going to be things that you're uncomfortable with when you're teaching. You're going to have to work with small groups of people. You're going to have to work with other staff members that you might not necessarily know that well. And it's just something that we all have to get used to. Yeah. And putting yourself in a position that's uncomfortable is probably a secret tip there that not many pre-service teachers get pushed on in, in the sense that you undertake your studies, you tick all these boxes, you know, you get a mark. Great. You finish that subject about inclusion, but making things uncomfortable and putting yourself in a position that you don't want to be in, that's probably a really big tip as well. Uh, In saying that though, I don't think you're uncomfortable in many situations by the sound of it, (laughs) leaning into your experience. Yeah, there's been quite a few different scenarios that I have had to, um, I've had the pleasure of dealing with. 
So there is really mm. not that much that um, makes me uncomfortable anymore. I've kind of seen it all. Is there any that you can share with us on the podcast? I have had a student spit at me before. I've had a student throw things. I've had, yeah, you know, I've been sworn at. I've been, yeah, lots and lots of different things. My biggest story, if I haven't talked about it in a podcast yet, I probably have knowing the kind of story that it is, but I was once offered um, some Mary Jane, some weed in the middle of a lesson. I asked very politely and uh, just said, do you want some weed, sir? Okay. <laughs> and walked off. <laughs> and I think that, um, that just saying okay and just walking off and not actually responding to it and addressing it is something that people need to need to do. You need to just not engage because they don't get the students then don't get the response out of you that they want and then aren't going to redo that behavior again. Oh, so you're saying I did the right thing. Yes, I would say that you did the right thing, depending on the student, of course. Yeah. That, that's really good to know. Because, I mean, at the time, that's the kind of thing as a pre-service teacher, you don't want to rock, rock the boat. You kind of want to keep that to yourself a little bit. If you're doing like your GTPA at the very end or you have to write up a report, that's not something you want to have to write about and be worried about your supervisor reading potentially. There could also be that feeling of responsibility that you're responsible for a student getting a detention or something like that. But it makes me feel better now. That's that's the approach that I took. Yeah, it definitely definitely has a lot to do with the school policies. And as long as you're following the school's policy and everything like that, then you'll be fine. I'm glad you bring that up, though, because when you're doing your preparation for attending a practicum, that's probably one of the big things you should look at before you get there, isn't it? 100%. You need to know the school, what sort of students that they might have, um, any particular programs they might run. My biggest thing would be, looking up the school on the My Schools website and you can have a look at how many like students and staff there are mm -hmm. and seeing if you can find the school's website and just different things like that. With regards to policies like uniform and, you know, stuff like that, has that been pretty easy for you to find? Generally, most of the stuff like that will be listed on a school's website. It might take a little bit of digging to find out what exact area is on the website, but it should be there. And you know what? If you've been allocated your mentor, Send them a quick email if you've got them or give them a quick call and be and say, hey, I'm trying to find some information of, you know, your different policies. Is there anything that you can forward to me so I can have a bit of a read up? Just show that little bit of initiative. So then if something like that does happen or a student's not wearing the right uniform, you can say, hey, do you know or are you aware that you are wearing grey socks instead of white? Different things like that. And the students will push back without the evidence, won't they? They'll wonder <laughs> if you've done your homework. They, they will. <laughs> they really like to test boundaries with pre-service teachers and you need to not give in. There is always room for a little bit of leeway, but you can't go too far. Changing tack a little bit. Let's lean into your experiences in integration aid again. In terms of what pre-service teachers can do to prepare for observing or teaching lessons that may have someone else in the room that's supervising a student with needs, what kind of, um, what kind of things should a pre-service teacher be doing in that space or what should be expected of them? Some students have individual learning plans and some have uh, behavioral plans. You know, these two things can exist on a system that a pre-service teacher doesn't have access to necessarily. If you know that you have a student with a disability in your class, go and speak to one of the integration aides or ed support that are in the school and ask them. 
oh, hey, I'm a pre-service teacher. I'm with this mentor's teacher's class. Um, I know that there is a student with a disability in there. Is there any other information that you could give me that's going to help me when I'm teaching? Whether it be, you know, giving that student some extra one-on-one time and going over there personally and double-checking for understanding and different things like that. Just go and ask the question because as ed support and integration aides, we know what our students are like. We spend the majority of our time with them. Um, my school, we have five periods a day and I am in class five periods a day on every day that I work with these students. I know them like the back of my hand. I know what might trigger them. I know their strengths and I know their weaknesses. You need to uh, just ask the question because if you don't ask the question, you have the potential to trigger a student and then things can escalate from there. And then as a pre-service teacher, you're going to then feel like you haven't done the right thing. And you might feel like you're a bit of a failure, but a lot of this stuff can be avoided by just asking. That seems to be what's showing through with a lot of advice you can give us to just ask the right people or even the wrong person and they can push you in the right direction. For sure. All you have to do is just ask the question. It doesn't matter who you ask it to. Someone will be able to point you in the right direction of who to go and talk to. I hesitate to ask. But, you know, we're in, a, in an age of reality television. Are there any horror stories you want to share with us that um, might be a learning experience for anyone who's listening? I have a few that pop into my head when you say horror stories. More of what things that teachers could have possibly done better. I've worked at two different schools. In one of these schools, we had a teacher who their first instinct was to yell and raise their voice if something was happening. Mm. Like if someone was having a bit too much fun or chatting too loudly across the class, they'd yell and be like, hey, you, you need to be quiet or, you know, you need to do this, you need to do that, rather than speaking with your normal speaking voice, a normal tone. Because a lot of our students, especially in the area that I'm in and a lot of our up-and-coming students are coming from trauma backgrounds and yelling is not something that is ever going to work. Some students get yelled at quite a lot at home. They have very volatile home environments mm. and they're used to being yelled at, which is really unfortunate and really, really sad. But it's just the way that things are sometimes and yelling is not going to work. I've had other teachers who have said, I'm trying really hard with this student, but they're not listening. They won't get off their laptop. They won't do any of their work. And we've given this teacher some different scenarios and different suggestions that would help them. Like, okay, if they won't get off their laptop, why don't you take your laptop from them at the beginning of the class before they come in? Because our students are expected to line up outside and then they won't go and do that. And then they'll come back in another week or two. Oh, I still can't get the student to do any work. And we've asked them, okay, did you try any of the suggestions that we suggested? No, because I don't think that they'll work. So they came back and made their own evaluation based on your advice? Yeah, sort of. They just didn't want to implement something very simple as asking at the very start of the lesson. Hey, student, I need to take that laptop away so then you can concentrate on what I need you to do this lesson. I'll give it back to you at the end. I'll keep it safe on my desk. And instead, they just didn't want to have that confrontation and just take the laptop. Yeah. And I guess that the secret horror story with that is not in the immediate future, but in that pattern of behavior that emerges because you didn't undertake that one action. Mm, so that student now will sit on their laptop for the majority of this teacher's classes and 
knows now that they're not going to ask me to give up my laptop anymore so I can just play Minecraft for the whole lesson and it doesn't matter because they're not going to ask me so I can get away with whatever I like. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. Do, do you find that you've ever overruled a teacher in the classroom or is there a very strong etiquette with the behavior of yourself in the classroom with regards to the teacher? For me personally, I think it really depends on the teacher that I'm working with. I have a lot of teachers that I would consider close friends now that I work with and we have that really good sort of team teaching environment in their class. I'll go and help my student and other students that need help while they're teaching the class and different things like that. Whereas there was other teachers at um, another school and they'd been there for a very long time were a very senior teacher. They knew exactly what they were doing and would run classes amazingly. You had never seen a class more well-behaved than those students that were in that mm -hmm. class. But if you were an aide, you could not do anything other than help your student. If your student needed help or you can help them, that's fine. But if another student asks for help, don't think of helping them because that's not our job is how this teacher sort of saw that. A friend of mine got removed from that class as an aide by that teacher and basically got told off because they had asked a student to stop tapping their pen on the table like the finger drumming that they like to do because she was starting to develop a bit of a migraine and it was getting quite annoying for some of the students around them. Mm. The teacher basically said to my friend in this aid that it is not your place to ask these students to not tap on the tape and wasn't welcome back in her class after that. Wow. I guess it takes all kinds when it comes to any kind of job that people do things their own way, but it says a lot when you hear of scenarios like that. It does. And don't get me wrong, that teacher, she they are an amazing teacher. They can get the content across to any student. They can make them understand anything. And the behaviours in that class are almost non-existent. They would sit there, they'd do their work. But if you were to ever even think about doing something, just it's not worth it. That's interesting. Not a lesson, lesson for the PSTs, though. You should definitely be asking as much as you can. <laughs> of course, of course. Well, I think we've talked about a lot. I think I've taken up enough of your time as well. So the one thing that I always ask at the end of every podcast is the one big piece of advice that you would give to any teacher, any pre-service teacher, anybody in education, really, that you would yield from your own experience. So what would your big piece of advice be? I feel like it's a few bits of pieces of advice rolled into one. Get to know and trust your ed support and your integration aides because they know your students the best. And also know that not everything is going to go the way that you want it to, but you have people to rely on. And we as ed support are always there to help you and your students. You just need to ask us. Amazing. That's, that's really good. One that we'll often get missed for PST. So if you have been listening for the duration of the episode, listener, I really do hope you take these into your practice and into your teaching thereafter. So we'll end the podcast there. Thank you so much for your time, Alex. I really do appreciate it. And it's refreshing to hear such maturity in the educational sector from someone so early on in their career. Thank you so much for having me. I've really appreciated it. No worries. That was Alex with some great tips from her educational support background and her pre-service teacher studies for anyone who's just getting started or early on in their teaching career. Now, remember, you can get in touch with us on Twitter at TeachCultureCast, on Instagram at TeachingCultureCast, as well as by email, TeachingCultureCast at gmail.com. Next week, we're talking to Scott, who is an experienced media teacher 
who's had a lot of pre-service teachers over the years, but we'll be talking to him very specifically about having a pre-service teacher during a period of remote learning. Hope you enjoy it. We'll see you in a fortnight. Thanks for listening.